Um, so I am uh, debating that CML in MMR TKIs should be stopped. So I don't want to spend too much time on this um, topic. Uh, we know that stop TKI therapy is uh, one of the goals. Um, about 20% of newly diagnosed CML patients um, will achieve a deep molecular response that would be enough to um, uh, stop TKIs and um, hopefully have a treatment-free um, remission. And to achieve this goal, um, there is a lot of research that is happening, and the patients who are lucky to get this, TKIs should be stopped. I have several reasons for that. The first reason is, have you considered the side effects of these medications? Now, CML patients now have um, enjoy, enjoy a very long survival, and we have all these frontline drugs that are available um, for, TK, uh, for a CML chronic phase. And if you look at the side effect profile, imatinib, fluid retention, 61%, muscle cramps, 49%, diarrhea fatigue, same thing with desatinib, fluid retention, pleural effusion, with nilotinib, QT prolongation, nausea, 31%, headache, 31%, elevated glucose and lipids. Basutinib, 84% diarrhea, 46% nausea, and abdominal pain, 40%. All of them generally have some sort of food restrictions. Um, the medications have to be taken at empty stomach for nilotinib and um, basutinib. There are a lot of medical in, um, interactions. Coumadin cannot, warfarin cannot be given with imatinib. If you have severe heartburn, a lot of these PPIs, which is, by the way, the most common over-the-counter medication um, that patients um, use, there is significant interaction of these um, TKIs uh, in terms of reduced absorption. So we worry about that. There's a lot of these interactions. And when you think about all the side effects, you know, it's true that not all of these side effects are grade 3 and above, but grade 1 and 2 side effects are also important when a drug is to be taken for 50 years or 30 years. And this frog can say that muscle cramps are really, really bad. And, you know, it's very silly when I tell my patients that don't stretch in the morning. That will prevent your muscle cramps. Uh, and many of these side effects are actually underreported because patients feel that they have to take the medication because it's working so well for them. If the side effect was not a big deal, um, the second reason to stop TKI is that it is actually safe. So if you look at several of these STOP trials that have been done, um, the first one was the STOP imatinib trial, which was taken by the French group. Forty uh, percent of patients can achieve a long-term treatment-free remission, um, and people who do relapse, the relapses are molecular. They happen by six months generally, um, and when we retreat them, um, usually these patients um, go back into a deep molecular um, remission right away. So this is the data from, um, from the same um, trial that the people who did have a molecular relapse, the patients who are alive with TKI therapy, 70%, and alive without TKI therapy are 20 to 9.9%, and most of the patients who, um, who, uh, who actually did not, who died on this um, trial, all the deaths were all unrelated to 
CML. None of these patients had an actual CML progression um, and or loss of hematologic or cytogenetic uh, remission. So it's safe. Um, it is true that you have to monitor these patients on a monthly basis to make sure that you catch these molecular remissions early, but um, it is still safe. And, you know, instead of being compliant with the medication for another 20 years, uh, I think it's easier to be compliant for six months of monthly monitoring. This data is true for the second-generation TKIs as well. Um, this is the D-STOP, or the stop Tisatinib trial on the left, and on the right, the um, stop um, Nilotinib trial, where both of them, both these drugs were safely stopped, and whenever any relapses, molecular relapses did occur, they, they safely went back into deep molecular remissions. In fact, the, the percentage of people who were able to get off these drugs is higher with the second-generation TKIs compared to um, imatinib. And, you know, you'd argue that a lot of these earlier trials, like the STOP, uh, stop uh, imatinib trials, maybe it is mostly for patients who are in complete molecular response, where they, there is undetectable, um, uh, uh, you know, um, molecular transcripts, but the recently published Eurosky study, which is one of the largest studies of stopping TKIs, um, uh, was, uh, the, the results of this indicated that there was actually no difference in treatment, treatment-free remission in patients who had an MR4 or 4.5 or an undetectable molecular response. So it is true that uh, this data should not be just a CMR patient, even people in mo- major molecular remission are candidates for um, stopping uh, TKI. Actually, it was the duration of the deep molecular response that was associated with an increased likelihood of TFR. So three years, five years, so anything over three years was what was um, associated with um, having a higher chance of getting off the drug. Now, there's a phenomena. So some people say that, you know, withdrawing from, there's a phenomena called TKI withdrawal syndrome, which is something that we are recently starting to understand as patients are coming off these drugs, that 30% of patients have musculoskeletal pain on withdrawal of TKIs. The exact physiological or pathological relationship is not really known, um, but only 1% of them, of these 30% patients, have significant musculoskeletal pain that it interferes with their daily life. For the most part, it resolves over weeks to months with some exercise and perhaps some NSAIDs. Resuming TKI in this situation actually does not help. Uh, Always, some people derive some benefit, but many patients continue to have some of these symptoms regardless, um, even when the TKI is resumed. And like my grandmother said, if your body is addicted to something, probably not a good idea to take it. The third reason is cost effectiveness. You know, there is a cost to these TKI therapies. If you're, if the patient is in deep molecular response um, and they can get off, that saves the society in large, 90 to 250K annually, depending on the cost. And if you look at even the generic imatinib, um, even with the introduction of generic imatinib, the cost has not significantly gone down on these uh, um, agents. Over a lifetime, these costs add up. And for patients, it's true that there are ways to get rid of the copays and things like that, but it is still uh, it, it, over a lifetime, even if there is some, medic- some money that adds up, it is still costly to the patient itself and to the society for sure. Another reason is reproductive challenges. So we know that CML is a disease of the elderly, but there are a lot of patients who are uh, also younger, 
and they tend to be the people who are bear the brunt of lifelong CML um, treatment. In a journal CML study that was um, recently uh, uh, published, um, although we can understand that some of these trials probably accrued more younger patients, but still, about 25% of patients with CML were about 30 to 44 years old. This is still a reproductive um, age, and um, it's prohibitive for people to get pregnant on this. And it's true, like Dr. Lee pointed out, that some of these pregnancies may be safe, but why do it? Why take the risk of 1.7% or 2% of fetal malformations? And even when these pregnancies do happen on, on TKIs, what do we do? We mostly stop them in the first trimester, so why don't stop it ahead of time um, when they can stop it and perhaps then go on to have a good reproductive life? The other reason is, you know, we talk a lot about side effects that are, are on the trials for some of these drugs, but there are unknown long-term effects of TKI therapies. T um, these uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors have inhibition of other um, off-targets like FGFR, PDGFR, FLT3-KIT, um, and, and there has to be long-term side effects of inhibiting these pathways. Most of the clinical trials actually excluded patients with significant cardiopulmonary problems. The safety of these drugs in patients who have this problem is really, really unknown. And there is a lack of long-term follow-up uh, on patients on this trial. Even the original imatinib studies, you know, we're talking about 10 years, but nobody knows what it takes. What, uh, what do these TKI do to a person who's taking it for 30 years? And also the comparison arm in these trials is not a normal population. Most of these second-generation TKIs that actually have the higher brunt of, uh, of um, um, burden in terms of side effects are compared to other TKIs, not to a normal healthy population. So that comparison is also not um, appropriate. There have been um, lots of reports of these murmurs of these newer side effects that are coming along. Peripheral vascular diseases have been reported um, with uh, nilotinib, pulmonary hypertension with disatinib, and these um, questions about secondary malignancies that come up. There was a Swedish trial that looked at the uh, population um, of CML versus normal and slightly increased risk of secondary malignancies. Again, so we're not saying it's causal, but these sort of long-term effects that we don't know are also um, happening. And what ends up happening with our patients is exactly this. We give them a capsule uh, for the medication and another five for the side effects that these medications cost. So my answer to this debate is we should stop the drug when you can. Thank you. So I kind of disagree with Dr. Desai. Um, I don't think stopping uh, CML uh, therapy is appropriate for all patients and try to explain why. So if you look at the same data for Eurosky, like I mentioned, um, there seems to be um, significant molecular response after stopping TKI, usually within the first six months on the left. And it's also similar, about 50% within the Lotnip data. So um, there seems to be significant amount of recurrence, and patients need to go back on their TKI anyway uh, if they stop the TKI. This is, again, the summary slide for all TKIs, and what is known is that no matter what, uh, no matter what kind of response and deep and how many years of um, CMR or MMR, MR 4.5 you have, the uh, 
treatment-free response rate is only ranges from 40s to 60 percent. So it's not a guaranteed um, uh, uh, thing where even if you have a deep molecular response that you would be able to come off TKI and stay away. And when patients look at this data, I've had patients who look at this and if they're doing well on the TKI, they don't want to take this risk. So I get um, so patients themselves decline to go off of TKI. The other thing is that um, there are some, um, I want to go through some uh, predicted um, uh, success uh, in terms of uh, maintaining um, TFR rate. And it seems like, at least in the uh, nilotinib data, high SOCOL score was associated with um, low TFR rates. So if you have high-risk disease starting out, maybe not the best idea to go off of the TKI if you're doing, if you're doing well. There are other uh, predictors of um, failing to uh, maintain the uh, treatment-free remission in, in several studies. Um, in one study looking at imatinib in the STEM trial, uh, the so-called risk score, um, imatinib therapy duration seems to uh, um, correlate with uh, uh, maintaining a treatment-free response. In the Eurosky trial, it was um, duration of the deep molecular uh, Duration, response duration was associated with um, um, being off, being able to be off of drug. And in other studies, uh, there are some um, uh, 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 factors such as imatinib initial response and imatinib resistance that may be correlated with um, treatment-free res- remission rate. However, the bottom um, punchline is that there's actually no reliable biomarker to predict it, where your patient's going to fall, uh, whether you're going to be able to stay off of the tyrosine kinase inhibitor or not. So given that there's the lack of um, predicted biomarker, patients often opt not to actually stop TKI, if they're, especially if they're doing well on their medication. So current um, recommendation for stopping TKI is that you need to be on TKI for at least three years, and you have to have um, a sustained molecular response for at least two years. The main thing is that, um, like I said, um, most patients relapse within the first six months. So what this requires is that you need monthly molecular monitoring for about a year, and then every two months after uh, for the second year, and three every three months year after indefinitely. So so in the beginning, it does require monthly monitoring for PCR, and it, it's really for patients who are compliant and are able to come every month for monitoring. So not all patients are compliant. So for those patients who are not compliant, it's not ideal for to stop the TKI. And the reason is that uh, once you lose MMR, then you should promptly um, restart, resume TKI. So uh, patients need very close monitoring. So in reality, I, I argue that stopping TKI is really only for really compliant patients who are able to come uh, every month for molecular monitoring. And it may be challenging for some patients because you have to remember that uh, for CML patients, we typically measure PCR every three months. So coming into the office every month when they're working may be challenging. So the patient may not opt for that. Um, you have to have sustained molecular response to be able to stop TKI. And the most important aspect is that there is actually no biomarker to predict if you're actually going to be able to stay off the drug. And given that uncertainty and given that these medications are um, life-saving and um, effective therapies, patients often are not willing to jump towards stopping their TKI. 
Of course, if you have experienced side effects or if you're pregnant, then this is a reasonable option. But I argue that besides those uh, situations, it often is not um, easy in reality to stop TKI.